So we're talking about Noah and uh, the real truth about Noah, talking about the ark and the flood and all of that. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? What does it mean to me personally? And uh, we're on uh, part three of this series. The ark is a beautiful Old Testament picture of a type or a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter really spells that out clearer than anyone else. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, the apostle Peter himself tells us that the Old Testament ark was a prophecy or picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we hope, I uh, think that's in your notes. By the way, you've got notes right there. And I uh, hope you'll follow along, fill in the blanks. And don't forget tonight, man, tonight's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time, and we're going to bless the people of Belize. Um, what 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, and I've got that in the little introduction in your notes there, so you can look that up, study that when you get home. Um, what he's telling us there is that Jesus is the hero of the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, or as one preacher got excited on the radio and said, I believe the Bible all the way from Genesis to Exodus. Actually, we believe it beyond Exodus, and I'm sure he did too. So last week we talked about how the material of the ark is like Jesus, and how the covering of the ark, that pitch, uh, that tar, is a picture of the precious blood of Jesus. We talked about the dimensions of the ark, how big it was, and how that meant that there is room for anyone who chooses to get on the ark. There is room for anyone who chooses to become a follower of Jesus. So today I want you to notice the shape of the ark. So that's your first blank up there, the shape of the ark. We read this verse last week, but we're going to read it again today and um, look at it in a little different way than we did last week. Genesis 6:15. This is how you are to build it. Now, this is God talking to Noah. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits. And how long did we say a cubit is? About how long? 18 inches. And so it is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. I want you to notice that not only the, the size, the dimensions, how big the ark was, I mean, over three, over three million square cubits of space. But I want you to notice how detailed God was about the length, the width, and the height of the ark. It was not an ocean liner. You know, a lot of times when the little kids are studying about Noah, or you'll see some of the pictures in the little kids' books, and not just little kids, but adults too, some illustrations about the ark, it'll have it with a point on the bow. And uh, that's fine, you know, I, I, uh, I don't have a problem with that. It's not going to mess anybody's theology up. But the fact is that it wasn't like that. There wasn't a point on the bow. The boat was like a box. So it was like a box, you know, longer than wider and about yay high if you, on a scale of three million cubit, uh, square, uh, square cubits. And when you think about the shape of it, it, it really was like a coffin. It was the shape of a coffin. 
Now, some of you may say, I think we might be pushing that typology just a little bit too much. We might be pushing that picture there a little too much. But it's really interesting when you study how the people of ancient days made their coffins, they made them with cypress wood. They made them with cypress wood, the same kind of wood the ark was made out of, and they also often used the pitch on the inside of the coffin and on the outside of the coffin to seal it. It's obvious after last week's message that the ark certainly represents Jesus Christ, and I believe the material of the ark and the shape of the ark represents Jesus Christ and really shows us that Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die. And not only that, when we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, and if you've not done that, that is our highest hope for you. Um, when you come to the bridge, we have a lot of different things. We have the children's ministry and we have the coffee shop and our church doesn't really look like maybe the church you've always been a part of. And so you walk in and you wonder what all that is about and why our look is different and how we do church, it's different. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to own up and tell you exactly why we do everything we do here. Even tonight, even tonight's fun time that we're going to have. We're going to laugh tonight. It's going to be so awesome. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to just uncover our purpose. We're trying to get you to Jesus. We're trying to get you to Jesus Christ. And we're not going to put up any legalistic barriers. Did I just say legalistic barriers right there? We're not going to put those up to keep you from getting to Jesus. We're not going to offend you with anything we do, or we're going to try not to, because when we preach, that's when we're going to offend you. Because we're going to tell you, if you're not following Jesus, that you're going in the wrong direction. You need the Lord Jesus in your life. You need him. You say, well, I've seen some things in church and I've seen people do some things and I've seen churches do some things and I know a preacher who, hey, we're not trying to get you to Pharaoh. Pharaoh can't help you. We're trying to get you to Jesus. I can help you by operating in the gift God has given me, but I'm not trying to get you to Submit to me. I'm not trying to get you to give your life to me. I'm not trying to be the one who is the big influencer in your life. I want to get you to the one there is no fault in. There's no error in him. He will never, churches will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Preachers will let you down. And guess what? You let people down too. Everybody does. But Jesus will never let you down. You need him in your life. I don't know who that was for, but that was for somebody. You need him in your life. Jesus was born to die. He was born to die, and when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, and we submit to him, and we get over all our stupid excuses, and we get over running from him, um, and we finally yield to him, guess what happens to us? And this ought to really encourage you to get saved and give your heart to Jesus. You die. Y'all excited about it now? I don't mean you die physically. You die to yourself. You die to sin. 
You die to Satan, and you come alive in Jesus. That is why we're going to have some baptisms around here. We, we're celebrating those on Sunday morning now because they preach. Baptisms preach. When you go under the water, that is a death to your old life. When you come up out of the water, that is a resurrection. It's a picture of salvation. And when you come up out of the water, that is a picture of your resurrection into new life in Jesus Christ. Christ, the Lord Jesus, was crucified for us, and at conversion, we were crucified with him. And don't forget what Peter said in the text that I mentioned earlier. The ark, Noah, all of that is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in addition to that, we die with Jesus at conversion so that we might live with him eternally. How many, how many of you, and I know this is going to be weird, how many of you are glad you died that day? Amen? I'm glad I died that day, and I'm glad I came back alive in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. I mess up all the time. I mess up all the time. I would never tell y'all that except for one thing. Millie comes to church here. <laughs> Amen? Come on, guys. You know it's true. Your uh, reputation is what people think you are. Your character is what God and your wife know you are. I'm far, far, far from perfect. If you put your eyes on me, if I'm going to be, and you go, man, I just got to follow him, and I'm going to mess up, I'm going to disappoint you, I promise you. You know how I know that? Because I disappoint me. Get your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let's go to the book of Ephesians and look at what Paul said to the church at Ephesus about dying. About dying. And some of y'all are sitting there now going, I brought a visitor today and he's going to talk about everybody dying. That's awesome. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead in your, which is just another word for, in which you, you, oh boy, that's big stuff right there. That means you don't walk that way anymore. And I know you're going, you just said you mess up all the time, but that word walked right there means habitually. It means it is a lifestyle. That sin is a lifestyle. When sin is a lifestyle, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because the moment you have a personal relationship with Jesus and you step out of bounds, he blows the whistle. And if you're out there today and you're able to sin and you're able to go your own way and you're able to do whatever you want to do and you go, I really respect God, man. I really respect the church. I really respect Pastor Farrell. I really respect the Bible. God wants more than your respect. God wants you to give him your life. See, before we were saved, that sin life was a lifestyle. We walked that way. Now, we still stumble and we still mess up as Christians, but we don't walk that way. And here's how you know. The moment, I don't know, what happens when you guys sin. But when I sin, I know it right then. 
Now I'll try to deny it sometimes, and I'll try to justify it. But I know immediately when I sin. Now what does that say about me? What does that say about me? It says that the Holy Spirit is in me through the new birth, and he is not going to let me do whatever I want to and get by with it. He's going to blow the whistle on me. So I don't know what you're touching and what you're involved in and what you're doing, and I don't know if you're playing footsie with the world while you're holding hands with God. But if you can do that without conviction, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you can do that and you don't feel any sense of conviction, that, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. But when you're holding hands with Jesus and you reach out here and play footsie with the world, you play footsie with sin, that's a great illustration, isn't it? Right there it is. Then there's going to be a whistle that blows and says, that's wrong. It's just like when a man's unfaithful to his wife or a woman's unfaithful to her husband. Jesus is the blank of Christ. Um, uh, the church is the blank of Christ. The what? The bride of Christ. We, we have that kind of relationship with him. So when we're unfaithful to him, the whistle gets blown on us. Am I making sense? You're going to mess up, but because you're a child of God, you're not going to walk there anymore. And let me tell you the best way to deal with sin as a Christian right now. Did you hear me? When you mess up, deal with it right then. Deal with it right then. If you want to freak somebody out and you sin, just drop right down on your knees and go, Jesus. I come before you because I just messed up. But I'm serious. Maybe there's some people sitting here right now and you know you've done something or you're doing something that you know is a sin. You've tried to justify it. You've tried to say it's okay. You've even gone to the Bible and twisted verses to make it okay and all that. But you know, you know, you know. It's just something you don't want to give up. It's just something you don't want to let go of. The greatest thing you can do is come before God, open, honest, genuine, transparent, and say, I know that is a sin in my life. It is why I, it's just like David over there when he sinned with Bathsheba. And Nathan came in, and David was mad. And Nathan told him that little story about the guy who took the one little lamb from the, from the poor man. And, and the guy who took the one little lamb had thousands, tens of thousands of sheep. But he took the one little man, the, one, uh, the man's one little lamb. And David was mad and judgmental. And he said, he ought to have this happen to him, and he ought to have this happen to him. That is so unfair. And Nathan said, first time it was ever said, Nathan said, you the man, you are the man because you took Bathsheba and then you had her husband killed in battle so you could have her. That is sin. That is sin. That is sin and it sickens me today when I hear about things that people who are Christians say, Oh, that might have been then, or that's unrealistic, or, you know, this is how it really, let me tell you something. God feels about sin today just like he felt about sin in Genesis 1-1. 
but we have an advocate, we have grace, we have mercy. We have a Savior who came to the earth and took our sin upon himself, and all we have to do now is trust in him. And if you've trusted in him as your Savior and and you've gotten into a lifestyle, you've drifted away from God and you've gotten into this life of, of doing things and justifying it, it's time for you to sober up. It is time for you to wake up. It sickens me when I see the truth of the Word of God being twisted and manipulated to fit an ungodly lifestyle that people want to live. I'm spitting a lot now, and that means a lot. (laughs) You don't walk there anymore. That's former. That's your former life. That's your old life. You don't walk there anymore. And if you are walking there, you better get on your knees quick. He says, according to the course, and that means current, that I talk about all the time, how the world is flowing one way. And, when, and, and you know, that's why sometimes when people become Christians, they think, oh, if I, I got saved, so now everything's going to be so great and so easy. And now you're going against the current. And you're calling me going, when's easy coming? Well, here's what happens when you go against the current. Think about a weightlifter. The more he goes against that weight and pushes against that weight, what happens to him? Just like right here. Oh, y'all didn't get to see that. I almost fainted right there. I felt. I'm serious. When you go against the current, you get strong. You get strong, you get strong, you get strong. You're fighting the current because that is the, that is the everybody say this, course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan, demons of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You say, who in the world are the sons of disobedience? They're those people who um, uh, are careless, the rebellious, the unbelieving, who go against the purposes of God. They're the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 3. Here it is again. Among them we too all, it means we don't do it anymore. We don't live that way anymore. That's our former life. Among them we too all formerly lived in the what? Lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh. That's our old life. See, when we give in to the lust of our flesh, now the whistle blows. God's like a referee in a basketball game. You step out of bounds, they're going to blow the whistle. But when you're not following Jesus and you step out of bounds, you don't hear a whistle. So if you're not here, you say, man, I ain't hearing no whistles. Well, I'm telling you, that's not good news for you. Write this in the margin of your notes. Don't look it up now. Don't study it now. Don't do Bible study while I'm preaching. Thank you. But Hebrews 12 says God spanks his kids. He don't spank the devil's kids. I know some kids never get spanked. You know, people say, we don't spank our children. We know. We know. 
<laughs> I hope that didn't offend anybody. But if it did, come up after the service and I'll forgive you. <laughs> Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. When did we live in the lust of our flesh? Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of even as the rest. That word indulging means we served our flesh. We were servants to our flesh. Listen to this. That word indulging right there means we were governed by our flesh in our old life. When you get to the word mind, it means cravings. It means we were dictated to by our senses and our dark imaginings. And were by nature. We inherited that nature from who? In the Garden of Eden, messed up. Remember that couple? And that means the rest, even as the rest of mankind. Let's go to the next verse, verse 4. But God, oh, everybody say those two words. But God, baby. Oh, oh man, Sam with me again. I've been given a bad report from the doctor. I lost my job. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. I'm having trouble in my marriage. Amen? But God, baby, bring God into it. Honestly, in the fourth grade, I couldn't stop talking. I knew then I was probably going to be a preacher. And I went to William Street School. Anybody go to William Street School? Got some old people here. Amen. I love you, man. Amen. Um, so they would send us to the auditorium where we were supposed to sit in silence as a fourth grader. They believed in miracles back then, I'm telling you. I couldn't stop, I had to tell people stuff, and so the guy who was over it sent me back to my teacher, and she grabbed me by my shoulders. Do it now, lock her up, but I needed it, and a lot worse. Matter of fact, when I got spanked at school, I never came home and told mom and daddy, because I'd get it again. So... So she grabbed me by my shoulders and she said, you have got to shut up. I said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. That's Jeremiah for those of y'all who don't know. That was his excuse for not being able to shut up. Um, so, so, where was I? Oh, yeah. Squirrel. So, that's what that's what God needs to do with some of us. Some of us, God needs to get us by the shoulders and shake us into soberness. God's going, you're going in the wrong direction. Y'all remember that scene from planes, trains, and automobiles? It's spiritual up in here right now. We're talking about Steve Martin and John Candy. You remember when they were going the wrong way? Come on, come on. Who likes that movie? It's all right. It's all right. As long as you watch it on TBS, it's fine. Now listen. 
and they're going the wrong way on the interstate and the guy on the other side, which is going in the same direction, they are, except he's in the right, he's in the good lane going, and he's going, you're going the wrong way. And they started making fun of him and mocking him, and then it dawned on them. How many of y'all remember that scene? So hilarious. Have we got a clip of that? No, no, no. You're going, that's what God is saying. Some of you are going the wrong way. And you know it because you hear the whistle. But I'll tell you about that whistle. It'll get quieter and quieter and quieter till you don't hear anymore. It's like that. The Indians talked about the triangle and a man that was like his conscience that was sharp on the edges and when a man would do wrong, it would turn, and, and the corners of the triangle would hurt him. This was a, a legend, Indian legend. They said, but if he does wrong long enough, he'll wear off the corners, and it'll turn, and there'll be no pain. When you get there, you're in trouble. When you can do wrong and you can't hear the whistle, you don't feel the hurt. You don't feel the conviction. You're in trouble. That's not good news for you. That's bad news for you. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, sharpen the corners of my conscience. Bring on the whistle. In Jesus' name. You want, I pray for it. I pray for conviction. I, can I say something to you about conviction? I hate it, but I need it. I hate conviction, but I so need it in my life. I want those corners to stay sharp. I want that whistle to blow, man. When I when I move in the wrong direction, I want to hear it loud and strong. I want it to pierce my ears. And listen, so do you. So do you. But God being rich in mercy. But God, everybody say it again. But God being rich in, say it. Because of his great with which he loved. Oh, that's big right there. Because if he's got mercy and love and he ain't given me none. That's bad English, but it's good preaching. If he's got mercy and love, but it isn't directed toward me, I love the way Paul reminds us at the end of that verse 3 or verse 4 that it's toward us. That's good news. That's good news. Look at verse 5. Even when we were what? Dead. That means slain in our transgressions, and that's a big word for what? Made us. What did he do? He made us alive when we were converted, when we were saved. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been And that means delivered from judgment, that word saved. And, and see, that's what the ark did. And that's what the pitch did inside the ark and on the outside of the ark. It delivered the people from, who were in, in it. You have to be in Christ. It delivered the people from what? The flood. And what was the flood? Judgment. It's the, listen, the water, the flood, and the story of the ark is the judgment of God. And the ark is a picture of Jesus, and that pitch on the inside and the outside is like the precious blood of Jesus. If you're covered in the blood of Jesus, the water, the judgment cannot touch you. It cannot touch you, and it's not because of you. 
You didn't do anything. It's not because of you. It's because you believed and received the work of Jesus into your life and the person of Jesus. Look at verse 6. And raised us up. Somebody say, praise God. Who, I mean, if you've been born into the family of God, John chapter 3, if you've been adopted into the family of God, Romans, then you have been raised up with, and that's a capital H right there, so it's talking about Jesus. You've been raised up with Jesus. And look at this next language, and seated us. That means, listen, giving us joint seating with Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you're Jesus or you're a little God. I don't preach that here. But the Bible does say this about me and Jesus. We are joint heirs. Or as the old country preacher said, joint hairs with Jesus. Amen? Joint heirs. Oh, man. I mean, he has seated us with Jesus. Because Jesus was the son of man, but he was also what? The son of? And when you gave your heart to Jesus, you became, if you're a woman, you became the daughter of? And if you're a man, you became the son of God. So you are seated with Jesus there with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing. That word means immeasurable. You can't measure it. Limitless. You cannot find the bottom of the bucket when it comes to the riches of his grace. Does this make anybody happy here today? You can't find the bottom of the bucket when you dip into the riches of his grace in, and what's that next word? Kindness. That's how our God is. He's kind. You know what that word kindness, it means goodness of heart. Goodness of heart. And again, Paul says it's not just that he's kind and that his riches are grace. He says it's what? Say the next two words. Toward us. Paul keeps reminding us, hey, it's, this is for you. This is for you, but the only way you're going to get it is if you are, last three words. So are you, in, are you in Christ today? Are you in Christ? Have you given him your life? Have you gotten on the ark? Verse 8. For by... Y'all say it loud or it's going, sermon's going to get long. For by... You have been... Save through, and that salvation that you have is not of your own doing. It's not of your own doing. It's not of your own striving. It is the, bam, it is a gift of God. You say, but what about good works? I tell you what, you give your life to Jesus and let him take over, and you'll do good works. See, good works don't get you to Jesus, but Jesus will get you to good works. That's worth writing down right there. Tweet that. <laughs> Verse 9. Again, not as a result of works. Everybody stay with me. Not as a result of, in other words, not the fulfillment of the law's demands so that no one may... That's really important right there because if you had anything to do with your salvation, you would get some of the glory. Jesus and me saved me. No, 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 no. Just Jesus saved you. Verse 10, for we are his. 
That means his handiwork. Created, but really a better word there would have been recreated. In Christ Jesus. We were made. We were created by Christ Jesus to love him. And out of our love for him and our commitment to him, we would do what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand. That means before you were born, he had a plan for you. He told Jeremiah, he said, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you. He has a plan for you, a purpose for you. That's why so many people are so miserable today. They, they're doing their plan or somebody else's plan for their life. And they need to do his. He said, it was predestined so that we would, there's that walk again, which means lifestyle. It would be a lifestyle. And that means living the good life, which was prearranged and made ready for us to live. So Jesus didn't come to give us death. He came to give us life. But, there, uh, but for there to be a life, an eternal life, there had to be a death. Jesus had to die. And for you to have eternal life, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to sin, die to Satan. You say, but man, I mean, when you become a Christian, you have so much to give up. I got to tell you something. I didn't even start having fun until I became a Christian. We're going to show you tonight how Christians have fun. All right? And matter of fact, if you can't pay the $5, you just come on out here and, and be a part of this and just tell them at the door, say, I don't have it, but I'll bring it. We don't want anybody to get in here because you can't pay the $5, amen? We're just take, that's a way of taking up an offering and being able to bless Belize. But you come on. You might be at a place where you don't have two quarters to rub together. We want you to be here tonight. We're going to show you how Christians have fun. Now, there are going to be a couple times when you think we're sinning, but we, we're not, I promise. <laughs> Number five. I want you to notice the design of the ark. Genesis 6, 16, make a roof for it. That's a good idea. Leaving below the roof an opening, which is a window, one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper deck. So he mentions a couple things there. He mentions a door and a window, and he mentions three decks, three levels inside the ark. Now, I want you to notice that God was in, in control of the door of the ark, but Noah was in control of the window. Those who were saved from the flood entered the safety of the ark through the door and again, this picture is Jesus Christ. Look what it says in John 10, 7 through 9. So Jesus said again, I assure you, most solemnly. Those are important words right there. God goes, that's God's way. If I was writing a Bible and I was going to write it in my words, modern language, God's saying right there, Jesus is saying, I ain't playing right here now. That's the Pharaoh Hardison version. So Jesus said again, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, wow, three times, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you that I myself am the door for the sheep. Now this is where people get upset. He didn't say I'm a door. He said I'm 
the door. There's not another way. I know it. I know that ticks the world off and makes the hair stand up on the back of their neck. They get like a Rottweiler when you say that, but Jesus said it. And then he says to those who come along and tell you they're away, he said, let me tell you about them. He said, all others who came as such before me are but the true sheep did not listen to and look at verse 9. He says it again. I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me will be and they will live eternally. He will come in and go out freely and will find pasture. Oh, I love that last part. I could preach on that and I think I will in just a minute. But not only was the, there a door, there was a window and Noah could look out that window on the top of the ark, but when he looked out, the only way he could look was up. Look what Paul said to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. He said, if then, and this is so important, and I would love to preach 15 minutes on this, but I can't. If then you have been raised with Christ, you've been saved to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead. This is the Amplified Bible. I just love the Amplified Bible. Aim at, so God's telling you, if you want to live a victorious Christian life, he's telling you what to aim at. Aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are, that are, where? Seated at the right hand of God. Now look at verse 2. Oh, this is so important. And say the next three words. Say them again. You got to set your mind in this world. That's why some of you are up and down riding the spiritual roller coaster. You haven't set your mind. When they brought Daniel the meat that had been offered to idols, the Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart he would not eat it. we got to set our mind. And once you set your mind, then you've got to look. Look, what you got to do then? It says to set your mind and set your mind and keep them set on what is? That is the higher things. Not, not, not on the things that are on the? Oh, I could preach on that. The reason some of us struggle is because we love the earth more than we love the heaven we're headed to. For as far as this world is concerned, verse 3, for as far as this world is concerned, you don't even exist. The day you got saved, you don't even exist to them. You have. And your new real life is... Hidden with Christ in God, the day you got saved, you became, a, you became a, a pilgrim in this world. You don't belong here. Your citizenship isn't here. The day you gave your heart to Jesus, your citizenship ended on this earth. It's not your, you're not a citizen of this world anymore. That's why when you became a Christian, things got harder because you're, a, you're like a fish out of water now. You're not even a citizen of this world. So if that ark pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, it, is, it was in the ark and through the ark and by the ark that we are connected to.
to the Father. And then the three stories, you know, the three decks inside the boat, that could represent body, soul, and spirit of Jesus. Our body, soul, and spirit, it could represent the triune God, God the, God the, God the. Let's look at the final thing, number six, the nourishment of the ark. As for you, take for yourself some of all food, which is, which that's good when food is edible. He was talking about the difference in what the animals were eating and what humans eat. And gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for and for them. And I'm going to make this short because time's gone. The ark did not just save Noah and his family. The ark fed them. Here's what that means for you. Jesus is in the, you ever heard old preachers say that Jesus is in the saving business, amen? But let me tell you something. He's not just in the saving business. He's not just your salvation. He's your satisfaction in this world. Because if you are getting your satisfaction with your paycheck, you're going to be unhappy sometimes because it's going to go up and down. And if your paycheck don't go up and down, you're going to have bills that come that you didn't think were coming. So your whole money situation is going to be in flux. Some days you're going to be happy and some days you're going to be very sad, but your satisfaction cannot be in anything this world offers because it's totally inconsistent. It cannot be counted on. It is up and down. When you find your satisfaction in Jesus Christ, let what goes on in the world go on. It won't affect you because your satisfaction is found in him. Now, we're talking deep stuff right here now because I got to tell you something, man. Most Christians are not there. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Dear God, help me find my satisfaction. 100% in you. Look what the Bible says real quick. Isaiah 58, 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. That means barren. Barren time. They're going to be barren times. You say, but pastor, I haven't done anything wrong. doesn't have anything to do with that. There are going to be droughts in your life that have nothing to do with what you did. But if you will find your satisfaction in him, he will satisfy you in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And then it says three things. You shall be like a, when everything's scorched, you'll be like a, you will be like a, not just a water garden, but you will be yourself a, See, it isn't all about you. It's all about you just uh, springing over on everybody else. 
See, it's not just about you, but it's about you blessing others. You are a, you're not just a reservoir of the blessings of God. You're a spring. You're a spring. Water, water comes out of you when people are around you. They feel life from you. They feel newness from you. They don't even know how to explain it, but they feel hope in you because you're not just a reservoir of the presence and power of God. You're a spring. whose water does not fail. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the, all right, y'all with me now? I am the, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall, he's our satisfaction. Look at Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to, and whoever has it rests, Oh, glory. He will not, the person who finds his satisfaction in Jesus will not be visited by. Hey, let me tell you something. Don't ever feel sorry for me because I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something. Being a Christian down here is not bad medicine I have to take so I can get to heaven. Yeah, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus and I'm going to just pay the price and get through this old world and one day I'll be in glory. If that was being a Christian, I probably wouldn't be a Christian. He is my satisfaction not only to come, but in the here and now. I find my satisfaction in him. I find my joy in him. And when I get down and I get discouraged and I get depressed, you know what that tells me? I took my eyes off the Savior. I took my eyes off the Savior. Keep your eyes fixed on that which is above, not on what's going on around you. Think of Peter walking on the water. It was not until he took his eyes off Jesus that he sank down. Remember that scripture from Colossians. Fix yourself, fix your mind, and keep it fixed on what is above so that what is down here will not rule your thoughts and rule your mind, rule your life. Father, thank you for your word today. Let it be in us and change us forever. In Jesus' name. Everybody said?